please uh, do take your seats. And uh, uh, welcome to you all again. It's really great to be here with you all on what has been a wonderful uh, weekend and with your family from all over the world who are joining us uh, this morning. And as we turn to uh, Psalm 1 this morning, a psalm that I had picked specifically for Han as I prayed over what I think would be right uh, for him to hear this morning after making this public declaration of faith, I did so genuinely not knowing that you, Han, are named after this psalm. This, this, this sort of cropped up over the course this week, as you know, in the conversations that we had with your mum. I did not know this. This is remarkable. And if I've got this correctly, Chang Han, that's your name, means prosperous and abundance which is based on the Chinese translation of verse 3 of Psalm 1, which reads this, He, that is, this blessed man of Psalm 1, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's quite remarkable that that's happened, and praise God uh, for his spirit in, uh, in, in bringing these things together. And that verse is actually the center point of the whole psalm, abundance, blessedness, and prosperity, and, and the picture of this tree that is planted lush and strong in continuous streams of life-giving water. That, that is the picture of the opening verse, the picture that the psalmist paints for what this blessed man of verse 1 looks like. The psalm is unashamedly about happiness and blessing and richness in life. And on the day of your baptism, Han, as your name pays homage to, that is everything that we as your church family would want you to remember about what is desired for the Christian. Everything that God desires for you in your life and your eternity and for all of us as Redeemer, as Christians, and for all of you who are listening this morning, even for all of you who don't yet perhaps know Jesus yet. God wants for us all that kind of life which you have been baptised into, Han, a life of happy blessedness. So the issue here for the psalmist in Psalm 1 is God's blessing or, or, or the good life, if you like. This psalm tells us how to be happy. It tells us where to find the, the, the one thing that the world truly wants. And for all of you listening today, those of you online as well, uh, and especially those of you who are perhaps aren't Christians as you support Han uh, as a friend or a family member, maybe that's not what you expected to hear this morning. The fact that the Christian life is all about seeking an answer to the question of how to be happy and blessed and prosperous. But even more than that, that the Bible is really keen on giving us the answer to that question. And the short answer that this psalm gives is that the life of blessing, the good life, the life of happiness, is the Christian life. More specifically, the, the authentic Christian life. One uh, which is daily living by God's word. We see that in verse 2. The one who is blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God. And on his law he meditates day and night. I wonder what you think of that. My honest opinion, when I was reflecting on this psalm as a, as a young man, was, really? I mean, of all the options out there, the happiest life that is available to me in the world is the Christian one. A life that is spent meditating on the law in the Bible, really? That sounds quite boring, if I'm honest. The real life of blessing, the good life, the, the, is this the best life in terms of the whole rank of different types of lifestyle that I could possibly live? It's, it's the Christian life. I don't know about you, but naturally I wonder if we just don't really believe that, even as Christians. 
As Christians, we might know in our heads that the life lived on God's word is the right way to live, but is it the best way to live? Is it the happiest way to live? And for those of you who aren't Christians, you may think, jog on. Meditating on anything, let alone on this book, doesn't sound to be the most happy experience I could have in the world. It might be a worthy thing to do, but certainly not the happiest. But that is what this Bible is saying. For true happiness, you must live according to God's word the Bible. And that is why, Han, you have made this decision. And that is why this psalm is here, to, so that you will be encouraged to keep on living the good life in the Lord Jesus Christ that is promised for you. So let's dive into the psalm now to look at all those things. And, and as we do, the, the first thing we see in this psalm is that in verses 1 to 4, the psalmist shows us that there's actually two ways to live. The two ways that Hugh just spoke about before he, before he um, read. For before pointing us to the path of happiness, God actually points us first to the path that is the opposite of that. The path that leads not to happiness, rather to misery. And it's like the psalmist is sort of putting up a big sign right at the front of this psalm saying, if you want to be happy, don't live this particular way. We see that in verse 1, the life of misery. Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, the counsel here means uh, the the advice, if you like, the advice of the wicked, the teaching of the wicked. Don't don't follow their advice, in other words, if you want a life of happiness. And that makes sense in the face of it. But the question is this. Who are the wicked here in the Bible? It's not a term we like hearing very much with our 21st century ears. It's one that, I suppose, conjures up the very worst in society, doesn't it? The murderer, the rapist, the the, the drug lord, the the gang member. Those are are the wicked people, if you like, in our society. Well, Psalm 10 actually gives us a very good definition of how the Bible views the wicked, and it might surprise us. Psalm 10 verse 4 says this, "As the wicked are those who do not seek God. The wicked is the one whose thoughts are... There is no God. Or in verse 13 of Psalm 10, the wicked renounce God and says in his heart, you, God, will not call to account. The wicked, you see, according to the Bible, is anyone who says in his heart or or with their lips in public that God simply just doesn't exist. Or or the theist who says, our God might exist, but, but he's not that important. He won't judge the earth. He has no power over our lives as king of the universe, as God of creation. You see, especially for those of you who are not Christians, I don't want you to, to read wicked as to how we might read wicked today. Wicked here is not talking about the murderer necessarily, but it includes those people. So atheists, for example, are not all those kinds of people necessarily. They're people who just don't know God. Theists aren't all wicked in the world sense. They, they don't know God. Many of them are incredibly good people who desire what the Bible desires, justice on earth, health for people, good in the world, peace on earth. But they're seeking all of those things away from God, excluding God. And that, says the Bible, is the way of the wicked. Wicked, in other words, here, it is normal you and me, our mates who, who live next to us on our normal streets, living outside of the knowledge of God. 
not loving him. And so can you see that the council of the wicked is not a sort of a, a circle of evil warlords that I might want to break into. Um, that, that, that's not what's going on here. Be tempted to listen to. Nor is it anything in, it is all the things in popular culture, rather, around us that says that God does not exist, that, that the way to happiness and prosperous and, 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 and blessing is found without God, away from God. You don't need God. It's the advice, if you like, that springs from the assumption that anything good cannot be associated with God in any way, that goodness and happiness comes from within the self, that blessedness and fruitfulness comes from working hard or having lots of stuff, lots of money, lots of friends, power, purpose, privilege, possessions, all that kind of, that's where happiness is found, as the world. It's the sort of unassuming advice of, of, of the modern-day podcast. That, that's the wicked that gives advice on life, on the career we should take, all of which assumes as its basis that the way to happiness is not God's way. Indeed, God might even be real, some might say, but listening to him, that is not the good life. And as Christians, we know where that lie comes from, don't we? It comes from all the way back in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, where Adam and Eve, under perfection, under the good creator God, are seduced by, by the serpent, the, the devil, that says, God is not true. God is not good. And the way to happiness is not through him. Fun and enjoyment and fulfillment can be had without him. That's the counsel of the wicked. It's the lie of Satan. The lie spun through the ages since our first parents fell for it. The lie that said that sin wouldn't lead to judgment and curse. The lie that said you will not surely die. But of course, as in the beginning, it is today. Living apart from God doesn't lead to happiness. It is a lie. It is a lie that leads to misery and death. And as Adam and Eve fell for that lie, so they died. And so every human since died. Death wasn't meant to be a part of God's world. But because we had chose to abandon God and find happiness our own way, we were shown just what life was like without him. God was being really honest with us. A life of misery and death. But notice what happens here in verse 1 in this psalm as we as humans imbibe this lie. If you've got it in front of you, it'd be really helpful for you to keep it up. Look, look at the journey that this lie takes what begins as an attack on our thinking at the point of our minds, that is the advice of the wicked, it's sort of just, just a, a, around me, well, that then trickles down into my actions, verse 2, where suddenly we are, we are standing in the way of sinners. We're standing there with them. That's sort of adopting the behavior and the habit, isn't it, of the, of the culture around us, assuming and, and living as if God isn't there. I'm now standing with them. I'm, I'm on their side. And then the psalmist continues, what begins in the thoughts and what moves to our actions finally settles into belonging. The path has sort of become a slippery slope, and the person who has listened to the counsel of the wicked now finds themselves seated, firmly in the seat of scoffers. Can you see? Comfortable. It's now where I live, in, 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 in the gallery of everyone else, laughing, if you like, at the naivety of Christians, those who, those who stupidly live out this outdated and dangerous view of God those who would live what is plainly a repressive and restrictive and, and, and dull, uh, an anti-liberal society way of living. But as comfortable as we may have become as humans with this lie, it is a lie nonetheless, and one that comes from God's enemy himself. 
And we as Christians, well, we need to have that lie exposed. It is so pervasive because it lives in our hearts and because we naturally believe it and because it's right up against us in the whole of society. It just seems to be the more real option. Path of Misery, says the Bible, comes from adopting the advice of the world, from standing in the way of the sinner, from sitting in the seat of the one who scoffs God. That, that, that's the first way you can live. But what of the second way, the life of blessing? For the only true way of happiness, then, is what we find in verse 2, and that comes from the one to the one who delights in the law of the Lord, the one who meditates on his law, on his word, day and night. It struck me that, that, that this isn't just knowing God's word or knowing about God's word or even understanding God's word in our minds as it being a source of happiness and blessing. It's, it's not just the one who can answer good questions on the Bible or who knows all the facts about the Bible. But blessedness is given to the one who delights in it. Now, I wonder what it means to delight in something. I wonder what you would delight in doing. Obviously, you will delight being here this morning, but, 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 but where else might you delight to be? Where would you love to be? What gives you real joy? For me, it would be sitting at Lord's Cricket Ground in London watching England in a five-day test against the Aussies. I would delight in that. I would soak up the atmosphere and the sun and the sound of leather on willow and the gladiatorial matchups against batsmen and, and bowler over a glorious and hurried five days of sporting perfection. I know you're all with me on this, but that is something that would absolutely um, would bring true delight for you. Well, me and Derek, at least. We're going to go together on holiday one time. Uh, that, that is true true delight. What is it for you? Maybe it's just a holiday in the pandemic, to be honest. I'm, I'm just delighting the fact that I'll be heading on the road to Pembrokeshire in a few weeks' time with my family. I've, I've not left the city of Edinburgh boundaries for two years. I can't think of anything better. Just driving away. It'd be great. You're all wonderful, but, but I'm enjoying going away on holiday. Maybe delight for you is a particular view, as, as in literally a scene that you've had in mind that you like to go and revisit, a particular book, a particular film, or visual experience, seeing a particular friend being with your family. Wonder, enjoyment, marveling at something that is delightful, that gives total pleasure and joy. And the blessing and happiness and good life comes to the person who has discovered what is truly delightful. And that is the word of God, the, the true deep source of ultimate delight, divine delight, the, the word of God that leads us to the God of the universe. That's the source of wisdom, the place of treasure and life and refreshment and comfort. It's, it's food to feed our hearts. It's the lamp to light our paths. It's medicine to heal our souls. And I will experience that delight as I meditate on it day and night. And that's another interesting word. What does to meditate on something mean? Uh, the idea of meditation is not that unusual in our day and age. It is a, a heavy, popular spiritual device used in the secular world around us all the time. Meditation is really in vogue. Uh, um, Toby, um, our son, is, is, is all but learning meditation at school in his first year. It, it, it is literally everywhere. And in the world's understanding, meditation is all about emptying the mind. I think it's called mindfulness, sort of getting rid of things from your mind. That's the sort of thinking of Eastern religions that we've sort of picked up and absorbed into our secular culture. It, except the Bible's idea of meditation is completely the opposite. It's not about emptying one's mind. It's all about filling it totally filling it till there's no space, 
filling it with God's word, God's truth. And the, the word meditate literally means to mumble or, or sort of spurt out all the time. It's quite an interesting word. So, so full is your head of God's word that you can't keep it in you. It sort of bubbles over out of you. That's what meditate means biblically, to, to, to gorge, to, to feast on God's word so that it comes out of you, bursts out of you. You're sort of blurting it all the time, speaking God's truth to others around you. To, to think about it, for example, while you're running or to mull it over while you're doing the washing up, sort of chat about it absentmindedly with our spouses or our flatmates. That's what to meditate means. And we sort of chat about anything else, don't we, in those kind of conversations. We'll talk about chat on t- trash on TV. We'll talk about sport. I'll even talk about football. I don't even follow football. Why is it I, I can't just chat about God's word? I'm musing with Jen. Oh, this is what I happen to be reading today. Isn't that amazing? So something just cropped to me. I just remembered what I'd read this morning. That's meditating on God's word. It's, it's a constant ruminating on it, chewing over it all the time, mulling, questioning, pondering, meditating. Do we, Redeemer Church, do that? Do we have such a love for, a delight in God's word, that that is the kind of way we, we treat the Bible? Hannah, as you seek the life of happiness and blessing and fruitfulness in the world, do you have a love for and do you meditate on God's word for your delight? That is something that we all wish for all of us as Christians, that we would find more delight in God's word. For blessed is the man, says the psalmist, who does just that. That is where we find real happiness, pure joy and full blessing. And we know that to be the case because of where the psalmist goes next. So what is this person like who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night? Well, we see this in verse 3, your verse, Han, that this person is like a mighty, fruitful tree. That brings us to our second point, two ways to grow. First of all, this this mighty oak, if you like. This is really important. Han, many people in your life will tell you what it means to be a real man. All kinds of things are going to be attached to that. But this hand is where you're going to find out what it means to be a real man. Verse 3, this blessed man, true manness, true personhood for all of us here, men and women. For this person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither and all that he does, he prospers. This picture is of a great and mighty oak tree, you can imagine. Standing there proudly and magnificently, branches stretching out to the heavens. It is strong, flourishing, drawing up through its strong roots the the clear crystal water that keeps it alive and vigorous. That is the picture of the blessed man. And it's really fruitful. And and not to sort of imagine sort of producing scrawny, bug-eaten apples, but but rather kind of mango-sized fruits. You know, the kind that you have to sort of eat with your whole face, juicy and delicious and full and ripe. I realise oak trees don't produce mangoes, but you know what I mean. But even more than this tree, supernaturally, if you notice, when winter comes, it doesn't lose its leaves. Its leaf never withers. All year round, it's still drawing on the nourishment of the word of God. That that is the life-giving stream of living water. It's a glorious picture of what Jesus calls life and life to the full in John 10. That, That sort of abundant life, which is the Christian life. And here's something that I hadn't noticed before in this psalm. 
And I think it makes this picture even better and is so much more helpful for us. Look at verse 3. Have you noticed the verb there that this tree is planted by streams of water? That's an active verb. It's, It's deliberately been put there. The question is, how has this tree got here? It isn't that blessing comes to the person by their good sense, their good efforts, as they sort of obediently listen to God's word and through within themselves, not at all. This person is found by streams of living water because it has been planted there. It's been taken out from somewhere else. It's been uprooted. It's natural place to path of ruin and misery. That's where we are. It's been transplanted by the streams of living water. You see the psalmist's point. By nature, as we've just looked at, we all belong in the way of the wicked, all of us, even the very best of us. But we occupy this place of incredible life-giving stream-like abundance by grace. That is the place, this is the place that we have been taken to and planted by under the grace of God. And in time, this tree is the one that produces that incredible fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, that we read of in Galatians, the fruit of peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that that, that Christ-like character of fruit that is so deeply attractive to others, that makes a man a man, that makes a woman a real woman, one who is blessed and attractive and strong and long-lasting, like a tree planted by streams of living water, and which, after years of drawing from Christ, becoming even more attractive in older age. I I, I think that's what in its season possibly means here. And that means, Han, that the the, the people that you will draw on most to you help in becoming tree-like are those like your godfather Hugh or or your godmother Becky, both of whom have been involved in the service today, or or, or your, your uncles or your aunts, those who are Christian, your parents... And I'm not at all casting aspersions on your age, Hugh, nor Becky, nor any of those people around you. But, but they are people who are more radiant because of more years of faithful living and drawing up of Christ. For us in Redeemer, it is, if you like, the Bill Oars that we have seen radiating Christ. More than he ever has, as he is, although frail in body and mind, he is like a mighty oak who is now bearing fruit in his season and whose leaf is not withering. Having spent a lifetime living on and becoming devoted to God's living word, those are the people you emulate, Han. Redeemer, these are the people we use as our examples, as people who are blessed and as people we would only long to be like. However, the contrast is very stark, isn't it? In verse 4, as we come back to a reminder of what the wicked look like in the face of this blessed man, what is the alternative? If we're not the mighty oak in verse 3, then who are we? Well, we are, says the Bible, that the man or the woman represented in verse 4, like empty chaff. Verse 4, the wicked are not so. They are not like this tree, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is the total antithesis, isn't it, of the mighty oak? For anyone who has driven through the British countryside, you'll have seen many a field of rich, beautifully headed wheat, glimmering gold in the sunlight. And if you look really carefully, especially on a very clear, hot day, you can see a mist, almost a haze, over the fields. And that's often the chaff blowing off the heads of the wheat, the the dry, crusty bits that have died. And they are so weak that even the gentlest breeze will just uproot them and send them spinning into the air. Not connected to the stem. No roots, no source of life, dead 
and dry. And so we have these two starkly contrasting pictures, one full of life, the Christian life, drawing on the word of God, the other lifeless, useless, totally without purpose, dead. And that is the life that ignores God and his word. However, before we come to our last point, it's important to note that that's not how it always looks on the surface, is it? We know, we've been reading in Luke, that the uh, Christian life is less like a bed of roses and more like a deathbed. Well, we are encouraged as followers of Jesus to take up our crosses at our torture devices daily and follow him. Well, we are encouraged as followers of Jesus to follow where he goes, to death, where the only thing in life that we are truly promised is suffering for the sake of the gospel, persecution, being on the wrong side of history, being on the wrong side of the argument, according to our culture. That doesn't seem a very blessed or happy kind of life at all. So what is Psalm 1 getting at? Well, God, specifically in the Psalms, he is not naive to that reality for the Christian. In fact, the Psalms, more than any other book, often say that the opposite of this picture seems to be true. It is the wicked who look solid and certain and accepted and blessed and deeply prosperous. Whereas the believer appears to be the total opposite, ravaged, suffering, persecuted, vilified, undone, blown away on the wind. But here at the outset of the Psalms, a book incidentally which we're going to be diving into over the course of the whole summer from now on, God has given us divine insight on what is real and true spiritual reality. What is actually the case despite outward appearance. The blessed life, true life of satisfaction and joy and substance, despite the lie of Satan which seems so true, is the life that is found in delighting in God's word day by day. The Hollywood actor may look like he has everything in relation to the Christian in solitary confinement in another part of the world who's lost everything. But it's just not true. That Christian knows the God of eternity, and he has everything. Whereas the famous man, however much he has, well, the wind will blow him away. And that's where the psalmist leaves us. Lastly, what ultimately are the two destinations of these two ways to live, these two ways to grow? Well, the two destinations to reach, verse 5 and 6, explain, despite what it seems on the surface, no matter how healthy or prosperous the wicked, the one living without accepting God as God, not interested in his words, will not stand in the judgment. That is, they will not be present and ruling and reigning with Christ in eternity. They will not stand in the congregation of the righteous, with believers, with God himself. For the way of the righteous, the way of the blessed man, blessed woman, is known by the Lord. That is, protected by the Lord. That's what known means here. For the way of the wicked will perish. They'll end without God, without an eternity with him, without the blessing of true, abundant, and eternal life. That says the God of the universe is the stark reality for every human living on the face of the planet. That's the choice. The destination of being unknown by the good God of eternity or of being fully known by the good God of eternity. However, if we were to leave this psalm here, we will be missing the most important thing about it. For if we left this psalm here, it will leave all of us, Christian and non-Christian alike, you included, Han, quaking in your boots. For you will have that nagging feeling in the back of your mind, thinking that you have to match up to this deeply meditative, holy Bible-focused person in order to be truly happy and in order to achieve this destination of eternal life. All of us will be thinking that. 
To be truly blessed, I have to live this kind of godly life, that sort of focused life all the time, day and night. night. I, I can't ever hope to be that. I fail even reading the Bible some days, let alone meditating on it, day and night. How can I hope to have this blessed life at all? How can I ever hope to gain the feeling of being a tree, immovable and unshakable in the world? I just do not feel that. How can I ever hope to reach this eternal destination with God? I I just can't be all these things all the time. Well, that is where we come to the heart of this psalm. For as we close hand, you'll be relieved to know that this psalm, even though you're named after it, isn't actually about you. This psalm isn't about me or about anyone here this morning, or about anyone listening online, not directly. It's actually about another man. And that man is and has to be Jesus. For if we read, read, blessed is the man purely as us, blessed is any man, any woman, who delights and meditates on the law of the Lord, that is true, but will miss its punch. It needs to be read, blessed is the man. For there is only one man, who fulfills the description of Psalm 1 perfectly, isn't there? And he is to be read into it above us. Blessed was the only man who walked not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stood in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, Jesus' delight, was holy in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditated day and night. He, Jesus, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf never withered. In all that he does, he prospers. You see? As Christopher Ashe says, there's only one person who can truly, perfectly and personally sing all the psalms, and that person is Jesus. For here, Jesus perfectly fulfills the blessed man that you could never be, Han. That any of us at Redeemer could ever hope to be. That any of you who don't yet know Jesus could ever hope to be. Jesus filled the void of perfection before a perfect father that we could never fill. He, Jesus, the son of God, God himself, came into the world as a human, gave up his glory and became a man, the man, the son of man. And suffered and died as a man, for man, on a wooden cross living the perfect life that we could never hope of living, the life of perfect meditation and affection and devotion and obedience to the God of the universe, the life of devotion that we were meant to live, but our hearts are too hard, they're too spoiled, they're too ruined, we can't do it. But he did it. The man Jesus, on our behalf, blessed is the man who fully lived that way, who perfectly meditated on his Father's words, who perfectly sinlessly obeyed his Father God in heaven. Jesus is the blessed man. And so having lived the perfect life, sinless life, we couldn't. Jesus also died the death we deserved. The death we brought on ourselves when we fell for that lie of Satan that said we can be perfectly blessed and happy without God. And discovered at our cost that we really couldn't be. As he took all our unfaithfulness and shame and wickedness and rebellion on himself and put it all to death with him on the cross. And for everyone and anyone who calls on the name of Jesus to be saved in repentance of sin and in faith in him, they are saved. And in him, at that very moment, become in Christ that tree planted by streams of water. That is how they are planted. Who will never wither, not even the face of death. 
but who will truly prosper fully in the new creation, being truly fruitfully raised again from the dead as Jesus rose again from the dead three days later. What could be more fruitful than that? Than bursting from the grave and being present with the Lord in eternity. You see, as we close, how can we possibly be this person in Psalm 1? How can we possibly live the way of the righteous in total devotion to God? How can we become a tree of prosperity and abundance and blessing and happiness? How can we reach the destination that any of us would want to, that of eternally ruling and reigning with Jesus in this new creation forever? Well, we can't. Not on our own. We can only do it by being in Christ recognizing him as the perfect blessed man, asking for his perfect help to be my perfect life, for his death to be my death, for his resurrection to be my resurrection. And if I ask him for all of those things, he will always say yes. And so we will say, blessed be that man who saved me, who planted me in him like a tree, feeding on the delight of his saving words, prosperous and happy and blessed for an eternity. Han, on the occasion of your baptism, as you bear the name of this blessed, prosperous man in Psalm 1 verse 3, remember that you bear the name of Jesus. As you seek to become a man in the world, seek not to become a man of the world, rather a man the world, uh, not a man that the world demands you to be, but become this man. A man who seeks to be happy in the truest sense, meditating and delighting in the words of Jesus, the law of the Lord, becoming a tree that stands immovably firm in the currents of life. As you receive your baptism in faith, remember why it is that you got baptized. A sign that you claim Jesus and his perfect, sinless, God-fearing, devoted obedience for yourself. An obedience which you received by grace as you came to the blessed man, the son of man, in faith and in repentance of your sins because you recognize that you were walking in the way of the wicked and that Jesus was the only man who could give you happiness, now walking in Christ in the way of the righteous. For those of you visiting this morning, for those of you who are, for whom this is all new, maybe you're watching online as you support hand, but you don't know Jesus, well, this is what being a Christian means. It is not being religious or subscribing to a religion. It is understanding that on our own as humans, we are a lost, rebellious people living in defiance of the good God of the universe as we fell for a lie that said we were okay without God. But we find that's not true, and instead of happiness, we're met with despair. But Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, does everything to get us back, everything to get you back. By being baptized, Hannah is admitting that he can't do this life of someone on his own. He, along with every single Christian on the planet, can't hope to achieve the heights of perfection that we need to reach in order to know God. And so all you need to do this morning is to ask for the perfect help of the perfect man who came to live perfectly for you and who died in your place for you. And as you pray to him, asking for forgiveness, wanting to be devoted to him, meditating on his words, and unlike the fragility of the world around you, you will become like a tree strong and secure and prosperous and fruitful and truly happy and blessed now and for an eternity. Well, let me pray as we close. 
Heavenly Father, God, thank you and praise you so much for your word to us this morning. Thank you for your spirit uh, leading us to this psalm this morning for Han. Uh, thank you for the way that we have been able to look at what it means to be a, a real person, a person who finds and seeks real happiness in life. Thank you that that can only be found in the words of God in the Bible, the words of Jesus, Jesus himself. Father, I pray for all of us as Christians that we would remember that to be true, that, that devoted ourselves to, 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 to the law of the Lord, to the Bible, is everything for us. Sets us up for this happy, prosperous life now and for eternity. And for those who don't know you, listening this morning, may it be that they are more intrigued and more warmed by the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they would come to know you as their Lord and Saviour, that they too would be devoted to your words, and that they would become tree-like, um, um, devoting their lives to you and living for you for an eternity. Father God, thank you for Han. Lord, we pray all of these things, everything that has been said today over him, we ask that you would bless him in his life and that he would become his namesake, the man who is blessed. We pray these things in your strong name. Amen.